Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, can Jean-Luc Picard boldly go where only Discovery has gone before? Our return to fantasy football begins, and what if the losers had been a winner after all? This and a lot more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Joe Glassford from Game Source and also Pop Culture Cosmos as well. But it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the man. Well, he's also the living legend, the living embodiment of Humanica Media. You gotta check out everything that's going on with Humanica Media at humanicamedia.com. Manica Media on Facebook, YouTube, and so much more. It's my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's going on, man? This episode is brought to you by Wheelie Q, and we'll get more on that later. Indeed. We're presented by Wheelie Q Barbecue Sauces and Rubs. Check us out a little bit later in the broadcast for one of our awesome 15% off discount codes. But we have a great show for you today. We've got Rob McCallum coming up once again in the Cosmic Crossfire as he talks all the latest stuff going on in the realm of pop culture. A little bit later on, he has returned. It is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. He is going to be talking, well, because it's that time again, about fantasy football. He's going to give you the insight and the know-how on what to look forward to in your fantasy football draft. But first, my friend... We were kind of struggling with some content because it's that time of year when, well, let's say the the end of summer is getting near, going back to school, primetime television really hasn't started yet with its fall network shows, the fall movies have not really started to come in as of yet. August is sort of like that weird month where actually not a lot is happening. Man is one of the big events that happens during the course of August, but it really hasn't hit as of yet. But lo and behold, while everybody in Vegas was talking about Evo 2018, there's also a yearly convention that goes on here in the city as well, and that is the Star Trek convention. It is the major, major Star Trek convention that's out there, and it's right here. It takes place every year in Las Vegas. I know last year they were talking about everything going on with Star Trek Discovery. Now, something came out of left field, my friend, because... They announced that there's a new show for the Star Trek universe coming to CBS All Access. And who do you think would star in it? But Patrick Stewart himself. He actually stepped out onto the stage at the Star Trek convention and announced that Jean-Luc Picard 
is once again coming into your living room with a brand new Star Trek series. So I ask you, my friend, this is some big news in the Star Trek universe. Star Trek Discovery did a very solid job, both critically and also ratings-wise, for the CBS All Access Network. Can another show in the Star Trek universe not only boost CBS All Access, but also as well make something really, really prominent for the Star Trek universe going forward? Is it a new series or is he just joining the old one or the one that's on right now? It is a brand new series, my friend. I believe it's being co-created by Alec Kurtzman, who's had a lot of hands in the kitty when it comes to Star Trek universe. While I'm hearing your thoughts on that, I'll look it up just to make sure. But yeah, I believe it is a lot of hands from previous Star Trek iterations that are coming together to help Patrick Stewart and whoever's going to be joining him on this journey to be an additional part of the Star Trek universe on CBS All Access. At this point, it does feel like the right move because you have a show like Star Trek, even a show like Doctor Who. Shows like these, while they do pull in new fans occasionally, and there is a big following for a show like Doctor Who, Star Trek is kind of survives purely off nostalgia for a lot of people. Like it has the, um, you know, it pulls in old old fans and it is... You know, if you have access to the streaming service and you read reviews, it has you're like, OK, that seems appealing to me. And it does the thing where it can occasionally pull in new fans. But creating, I guess, having another Star Trek series run side by side with, uh, you know, whatever the new one's called, I, it, it could be a good idea. It could be a bad idea. A series like this would be strictly for nostalgic people or nostalgia fans. And while the new one could cater more to newer fans, but you have to ask yourself that because remember there's a time when sci-fi had so many you know these these space shows going on at the same time that nobody really knew what to watch you had Battlestar Galactica or Stargate Atlantis or whatever it was and you didn't really know what to watch there's too many things to keep track of so do you think that there would be a point where there would be too many Star Trek series to watch or is even having too far too many because the lore is so vast in this show and that's the difficult question because this is going to I believe it takes place in two different time frames with Star Trek Discovery taking place before the events or just before the events of the original Star Trek in the 60s. And of course, we all know Star Trek The Next Generation came after the events of the crew, the famous Kirk Spock crew from the 60s television series, plus also the movies in the 80s as well. So it's going to be weird how if you're not familiar with the Star Trek timelines, you're going to be seeing these two Star Trek shows in different timelines because of the way they fall, but they're both going to be on the same CBS All Access Network. It is executive produced by Alec Kurtzman, who is the executive producer of Discovery, and he's had his hand in other Star Trek movies as well. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see where his character, Jean-Luc Picard, can go. I'm interested to see where this will take us as far as the story of Jean-Luc Picard. Who is coming along with him? Is there anybody from Star Trek The Next Generation that's going to join him on this quest? Or is it going to be an all-new list of characters that are going to be partnering up with Jean-Luc Picard at this point in time? So... I'm interested to see, but I'm also interested to find out if audience members out there that are not as familiar with the Star Trek universe are going to be confused. Because like you said, a Patrick Stewart starring 
Star Trek vehicle will cater to an older crowd that's more familiar with the Star Trek universe. And somebody that is not may get really confused by what's going on if they watch that and Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, so let me ask you this. with So you have the Star Trek movies, you have the Star Trek with Patrick Stewart, and then you have the Star Trek that's the newer one. So as the Star Trek expert, because for me, it's hard enough for me to follow like, you know, the numbered entry in Star Wars and the the side stories, as well as like the the animated stuff that ties into canon. And with Star Trek having such a, a vast amount of lore, do you think that it's going to be hard? Like fans are going to get annoyed that they can't watch all of it or they're going to have to pick one to watch or follow? Or do you think it's going to be overwhelming to people? I think it's bordering on it. I think you're very astute in that observation because the whole timeline is this as far as the items that are being shown and and being uh, produced right now at this point in time in the Star Trek universe. Like I said, these events of Star Trek Discovery take place first in this case. It's about, I believe, if I remember correctly, 10 years before the events of the Star Trek movies, which you are seeing at this point in time at the theaters. And what they're coming up with the next one, I believe, with Chris Hemsworth that's going to be joining him in there. And then the one after that, that Quentin Tarantino is supposedly going to be directing as well, the R-rated one. So those two movies will take place after the events of Star Trek Discovery. Now, those two entities in and of themselves all take place before the events of the proposed new series with Patrick Stewart. And I'm trying to make sense for everybody out there that's listening, because this is really going to be a hard deal because of the fact that it's relating to the Star Trek, the next generation with Jean-Luc Picard, that has to take place in a timeline after the events of these current Star Trek movies and also as well, Star Trek Discovery. So you're right. It is kind of confusing for a lot of people out there, but obviously CBS has a lot of faith in the Star Trek universe at this point in time, because they've Star Trek discovery has been a big hit for them from everything that we've seen as far as their subscription rates of viewing things of that nature. It looks like it's been a big hit for CBS all access. The movies themselves have done okay. For the most part worldwide, they haven't really taken off like obviously star Wars or any of the huge Marvel movies they're usually garnering around four to five hundred million worldwide, which is pretty good. It's not blockbuster material. So the future of the Star Trek movies are always in doubt because of the fact that they have such a seemingly such a ceiling on, on how far those movies can perform. But as far as TV is concerned, it looks like audiences are still very interested in in seeing Star Trek in some form on the television, on the small screen. And I know because Patrick Stewart is going to be involved and be starring and be heavily involved with this new project that I'm at least going to give it a chance just because the fact that I've appreciated his character. I, I do have a very great fondness for his character because the work that he's done on so many episodes of The Next Generation and in the Next Generation movies as well. I mean, I, I hope for the best. I, I'm, I've never been a huge Star Trek fan. You know, I, I we have talked about the movies and I do enjoy them, but I just don't have the time to sit down and go back because I would like, honestly, like I would like to sit down and watch Star Trek, watch a series of it, but there's just, there's so much of it that I have this, I would feel this 
compulsion to go back and watch all of them and i just don't have the time for that and i barely have time to binge shows as it is so uh but i would say you should binge discovery if you get a chance discovery is harder edged than much of the star trek universe that's out there it's actually going to be closer and i think this is why a lot of people like the fact that quentin tarantino most likely at this point in time will direct a star trek movie an r-rated star trek movie at some point because the content and the storylines and everything that's going on within the Star Trek Discovery universe fits more in line with what he would like to do as an R-rated Star Trek film. So I hope you give it a chance. It is a little harder edged than what a lot of people are used to seeing in the Star Trek universe. It didn't go over well with a lot of people at first, but it seemed as the series went on to get better and better. And I think it closed out on a very solid note as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day when I have some time, I'll sit down and watch them. But, you know, for now, I defer to you for all things Star Trek. So I'm I'm in agreement with whatever you think on this. There you go. Live long and prosper. Um, well, OK, I'll say it later. I'll go ahead. <laughs> I said, yeah, just we'll, we'll see, man. We'll see what happens. It is something that is very interesting for me. Like I said, it came out of left field, but it obviously sends a sign to everyone out there that CBS is truly excited about the Star Trek universe, that Discovery performed really, really well, that they cannot wait for the second season, which starts in January. If you haven't seen the trailer for the new one, it's really, really solid that came out during Comic-Con. You can either scroll down our new site here at Pop Culture Cosmos or check it out today on YouTube. In fact, I'll actually ask Josh if he can throw it up there on our Pop Culture Cosmos YouTube channel. But it, yeah, like it tells me that there's a lot of interest on the small screen for Star Trek. The big screen has always been the problem as of late, even with the reboot, which everybody seems to love. But numbers-wise, it just cannot get over the hump as being a colossal blockbuster, which I truly believe it should be. I think the Star Trek crew that's out there has been probably it, it, that's out doing these films at this point in time are probably the most fun to watch as a group that even the original star Trek or the next generation crew. And that's, I'm talking about as a whole, I know that's going to give me a lot of flack, but that's just my opinion. I, it's really close because all three sets are enjoyable. Then there's deep space nine enterprise. I, I know all that as well, but I just enjoy watching this crew interact at this current time. I'm, kind of bummed that it is not translated into a seven, eight hundred or even a billion dollar movie as of yet, but I'm hopeful that in the future that could still happen. But you know, it just tells me with the advent of a new Star Trek series in production at CBS All Access that well, they surely must like it when Jean Luc Picard says engage. Number one, engage. What are your thoughts on a new Star Trek series coming to CBS All Access starring Patrick Stewart in his iconic role, Jean-Luc Picard? Tell us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. You like that? Engage, number one. Engage. Engage. Okay, that's yes, Silas. Yes, that's, I'm sorry, I just I never watched Star Trek, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he'll usually go instead of warp, whatever. Engage number one. Moving on, 
<laughs> we have a great show for everyone out there today. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got Rob McCallum coming up in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. Also as well, we've got Tyler Baker sharing his thoughts on who you should look for for your upcoming fantasy football draft. And then Josh and I are going to be talking a little bit later on about the movie, The Losers. There's a little bit something that I picked up on the other day when I tried to watch it that I was thinking about, and it led me to start something that we're going to do every now and then called a what if segment. And we'll talk about that at the end of the show about what if the movie The Losers had been a big hit, how that would have changed the, both the DC and also the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll share our thoughts on that and a whole lot more. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheeliq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D and the number one at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald coming right back at you here. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend, he is the man among men when it comes to Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out everything that's going on today at robmccallumfilms.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Rob McCallum Films on YouTube, and also as well, Rob McSob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It is Rob McCallum. So pray tell, Rob, what's in your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, today's episode is going to be a little bit like the lightning round, but I did want to start things off by kind of offering an open invitation for any people that are interested in research, any filmmakers out there, any investigative journalists that have a topic in mind that they're just dying to kind of see get made into a documentary, maybe a 20-minute short, a half-hour short. I want to talk to people that have a burning desire to tell a story from a certain point of view that if possible ties to the world of pop culture or, or could be universally driven. If you've got an idea, me and my team, Rob McCallum Films, Pyre Productions, Creative Dynamic, we want to talk to you guys and basically help be a part of that process. We've got a lot of films and series out there. We've got a lot of the, the award hardware on our on ourselves and we kind of want to do more and be involved in more. And we've started to shepherd a lot of other filmmakers and consult and, and work with them on their projects to get them to the next level, to make things happen a little bit faster for them and for us. So if you've got a great idea, reach out to us through social media, through Pop Culture Cosmos, 
listen at the end of the show. You'll get all the hits and where you can send all your inquiries to. And we can just start talking back and forth. And maybe you've got a great idea and you've got a, a bit of skill and talent. And we can, we can come in with a little bit of finances. We can come in with a lot of help and a ton of experience to make your idea uh, the next great reality. So hopefully we can talk about that as it evolves over the next few weeks and, and shows. But this is the kind of platform that we're, we're going to start to introduce and work with. And we've already got one filmmaker that we're working with. He's got a really exciting idea and he checks all the boxes. And for fans of people that like Nintendo Quest, this will be something a little bit in your wheelhouse. Same with box art. So it is somewhat in the video game sphere. Well, it is in the video game sphere if we can make everything work. So right now we're excited by that one. That's funny because you're like, well, if it's kind of, well, you know, if it's Nintendo Quest and box art, there's really not much stuff as far as that's concerned. Yes, Gerald. Yes. 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 Coffee. 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 Get it in me. The Deadwood movie is officially greenlit, Gerald, after years and years. And I think we've even talked about it once or twice on the Cosmic Crossfire and the PCC. It is officially greenlit. In the interviews, as a result of the press going around about it, it's interesting because why season four never happened. They finished after three seasons with, you know, somewhat of a lackluster finale, even though the showrunner said, you know, when he wrote that last episode of season three, he knew that that was going to be the series finale because season four discussions were up in the air. And I thought it was really interesting that season four never happened because the showrunner did not want to do an episode cut. So they offered him to do season four, but with a reduced episode count. And he said, no. What do you think about that? That decision to go from, I think it was 10 episodes per season. And I think he said they, they wanted him to do six. That's a nice luxury to have is when you can go ahead and say to an HBO, you know, sorry, I, this is the way my I'm going to tell my story. And if you want it differently, then I don't do it. So uh, it must be nice to have that kind of luxury because a lot of people in Hollywood would have taken the money. But at this point, he's doing a movie. So it's a two-hour movie and not and still not the 10 episodes that he wanted to do for season four. So but who's he, really won here? But he's still done it because I think there's enough of a, uh, I guess enough of a, uh, you know, a fan interest. Uh, I know the stars have talked about it periodically over the years. And I guess there's an, still enough an interest for Deadwood to actually bring this movie to life, even though it could have just died and and the thing is at least it's going to be on hbo where they can promote it right and that and there's there's a specific type of viewer that might still be interested in it. if it came to the big screen i really think it wouldn't be all that very successful well that's what it's doing it's going to the big screen it's gonna be a theatrical release for the oh, film okay. I thought it was gonna be hbo hbo and it's HBO. and it's a two-hour movie maybe i don't i can't imagine it being much more given that it's a theatrical release and it's essentially like two episodes of a season so he went from possibly six to two now that said game of thrones is ending westworld season two from what i read isn't doing that well compared to season one this film could be a nice backdoor pilot to actually commissioning season four of deadwood if we can get the fan interest if the numbers are there can we actually get enough acclaim and interest to greenlight deadwood coming back like we've seen so many other sitcoms from the past actually come back can deadwood come back and be another premiere show for hbo for maybe one two seasons at the 10 episode run can this movie jumpstart it? And I think that's what's going on because it doesn't make sense any other way in my head to turn down, to want a 10 episode run, to turn down a six, wait 10 years or whatever it is to do a two hour movie. 
you know what? It probably is the HBO's way of feeling this out, but I thought Maybe it was just going that's to That's another one we agree on. But I thought it was just going to HBO, but you're right. If it's going to the big screen, then, then that's the ultimate test to see if it's actually still interested in it. You mentioned the other things as far as Westworld comes to mind. It's so funny because it's so polarizing and dynamic, even more so than season one, which is actually very polarizing in and of itself. But look at all the Emmys it garnered. It garnered over 20 Emmy nominations by itself, which is kind of funny because the fact that one certain group, in this case, the voters for the for Emmy, just really, really are interested in it and like what they're doing. But yet the fan interest is just all over the place on where the series is going because it does so many things to just like get the emotions out of you, whether it's good or bad, from watching the second season. Well, again, no HBO Go in Canada. I haven't been able to catch up on it. I did like season one. I thought the last couple episodes were starting to drag on and not ask big enough, interesting enough questions. And everything I've read about season two for Westworld is very, like you say, polarizing and up and down. It's going to garner those Emmy nominations for a bunch of reasons, whether you like the content or not, because the technical prowess that they're producing the show at deserves to be recognized in the awards plateau like it is just top-notch filmmaking and again whether you like the content or not you have to say that is good production and that's why they're going to get some nominations for sure oh, i agree with you it's probably one of the most well-funded <laughs> this is the most topic. agreeable show ever I know. Well, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but it is probably one of the most well-funded, if not the most well-funded show out there, maybe save for The Walking Dead or something like that. But yeah, there are very few shows that get that kind of bump up with the production, with, with everything as far as it's almost like being in a, in a movie each and every time with the kind of cast, the kind of expense that they're going through. And it, it all depends on the ratings, man. As long as the ratings keep going for it, that are even anywhere close to the ballpark of Game of Thrones, hey, you got you got to stick with it. You got to stick with it. Speaking of HBO, their chief Casey Bloys has come up with a big statement since they gave some earnings reports and and kind of a preview of what's going on. They said no one is asking us to sacrifice quality for volume, which is the discussion we had on a, on a recent show. He basically reiterated that it's now just easier to spend at HBO to do more things instead of preparing for a takeover or being to be acquired by another company. You got to remember AT&T and Warner Brothers had been sitting in merger world for a couple of years wondering when things were going to switch and what that was going to do and how that trickle down effect was going to happen. That's happened now. You don't have to worry about the, the watchdogs keeping an eye on you and looking over your shoulder every 10 seconds. Now, I don't know what that does for accountability, but it also makes it easier to spend money and take those risks on something that might not be a hit because it's not going to dilute the company value. If you were to start a new show, if you were to green light Deadwood and it fails, that's going to tank the net value of the company ever, ever so much. So it's easier for them to spend money. That doesn't mean they're going to do more volume for quality and compete with Netflix. So that was interesting that that comes back based on our, uh, our talk that we had wondering where it was going and related to it, I guess four to five game of Thrones spinoffs that we talked about have been axed as a result of this. So clearly they aren't uh, looking for volume for known brands. They just did not go well. So obviously that prequel one is probably still the front runner that said a thousand years before the events of the current series. And that's pretty cool. It's just crazy, man. Five different ones that are out there and, and if, if I was at and I'd say, you know what? Hold the phone there, so to speak. Pun intended. So, 
but I'm glad that they're still sticking with just one. And we'll go from there. If there's a need for it, they can always bring the other ones on later. Speaking of TV coming back, like Deadwood, we mentioned, of course, the, the series reboots. we got Murphy Brown is coming back, Will and Grace. Roseanne came back, and the Connors now. There is talk about a Frasier reboot with Kelsey Grammer. Now, Frasier is this show that it obviously ran for 11 seasons, brought in tons of Emmys. Kelsey Grammer played the character of Frasier Crane between Frasier and Cheers longer than any other character has been played in television history. And now Kelsey Grammer is listening to pitches on how to reboot the character, whether it picks up in Chicago where he left Seattle at the end of the show run to go live with his girlfriend and then follow her life, or whether it's going to stay in Seattle or maybe back to Boston or whatever it is. What are your thoughts on a Frasier reboot? I'm not enthralled by man. It it just yeah, he, like you said, it's been a character that's been played out for so many years. He's garnered so much acclaim for it, and rightly so, and deservedly so. But at this point, does everything have to come back again and be a be a reboot of something? And just let's get some more original ideas out there. It was a big hit for NBC. It was part of their Thursday night lineup. Yeah, so I guess by default, it was it did garner a lot of viewers, but. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. As far as uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a big fan of the show. I liked it when it when it was on. I didn't get to check every episode at that point, but when it came to Netflix as a full on series, I, I watched the whole show, like the entire every single episode, probably two or three times. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the writing. I think it's incredibly clever. I don't think it's humor for everybody. I don't think it's everybody's cup of tea but I, I think it's an excellently written show and i think they did a lot of character work i think it's going to be really challenging to deliver that quality of material again and improve upon the character arcs that they had established over that 11 year run so i'm wary about that but i'd love to check out another season of, of Frasier. i think that would be great but the streak is over we finally disagreed on this episode well yeah I am. i'm not a huge fan of Frasier. I, I found some shows interesting I will give you props on the fact that it does do a lot with character progression as far as the there was the relationship there. Well, well, will they or won't they get together? That finally worked out in the end. But yeah, it just at this point in time, I think the character has had a lot of time under the sun when it comes to TV. Maybe it's time to put that thing to bed. But then again, like I said, all it takes is one great idea. And you know what? It, people could be loving Fraser Crane once again. Cool. Well, we'll talk to you soon and hope everybody's enjoyed the 100 episodes of BCC and all the episodes of Cosmic Crossfire. That's right. But you can always get a hold of us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Rob McZob on Twitter, popculturecosmos on Twitter as well. Rob, it's just great to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire and of course, right here, a part of the pop culture cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos, episode 101. We're now in triple figures, my friend. I cannot even believe it. It's Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our shows. 
If you ever need a schedule on when we're playing or where we're playing, you can check it out today on Facebook at Pop Culture Cosmos. Plus, right there is a schedule of all the great radio stations around the world we're playing because we're on radio seven days a week. And also, as well, if you want to listen to our podcast version of it, then you can go ahead and check out all the different podcast networks. Well, at least some of them that we're on because we're on over 30 different podcast networks as well. Josh, you got a great thing going on with Humanica Media and Topicocalypse. So share thoughts, man. What's going on with your awesome experience known as Humanica Media? Like you said, just Topicocalypse. We'll be dropping a new episode today. You can also check out the our review of the Hope's Fall album Arbiter, available now to download. And uh, if you happen to come up on our podcast, we'd love if you can check it out. Or, you know, like, follow, subscribe on social media. That'd help us out quite a bit. But uh, yeah, that's it, man. But he is right. On, not only on Topic Ocalypse, but the Pop Culture Cosmos. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to any of our content or any one of our channels, whether it's Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Anchor FM, or any one of those podcast networks, or you listen to our show on radio Anytime you like, you listen, you share our content, we truly appreciate it. Josh, my friend, you wanted to talk a little bit about Doom, and it just so happens that seeing around media these days, there seemed to be a little bit of a surge again in advertisement for the PlayStation VR. Maybe it's just a reminder that, hey, we're there, we got this great concept, we got this great gaming thing that we'd like you to try. The PSVR is the most successful unit in the virtual reality workspace that's out there, but it still has reached right around 2 million units sold. And comparatively speaking to other consoles out there, that's not a whole heck of a lot. But at this point in time, Doom was being shown as something that they're really trying to promote along with the PlayStation VR, with Doom VFR. I know you had something to say about Doom and how it correlates as far as the storyline and things of that nature. I want you to go ahead and and share your thoughts on Doom because it was well-received as a reboot just a couple years ago, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. I know you have some issues with it, but not only share with me your thoughts on that, but how is it translating to you know, your thoughts on the story with the success or lack thereof as far as the PSVR overall. So I think that the reason that PSVR is doing so well is because it's it's more accessible than like the Oculus Rift or some of the other ones that are out there. Uh, I saw at E3 there's a booth that was really pushing VR. Like they had a bunch of different VR sets from a bunch of different companies. You can kind of try them and check them out. But uh, I just don't think many people are interested in it because that's why even though the PSVR is the most successful, it hasn't even come even close to what even the Switch is doing. Yeah, I think that VR, it's just not, the technology is just not there because while I've seen, you know, I, I've seen the numbers for the PSVR, like I've t- read reviews on different VR games and stuff like that. And it sounds like, especially something like, you know, some of these big, bigger games like Bethesda's making with Skyrim, especially is one that they said the movements are too difficult and the movements that you see on screen, they can't keep up with like what you're doing with your hands. And the moment that you move your hands out of your scope of, uh, a vision it causes the game to wig out so that's what you know when i get to a game like doom doom is such a fast-paced game it's such a fast-paced game and even on easy it is incredibly difficult so the moment i'm i'm hesitant to even consider 
wanting to play something like that on PlayStation VR. But, you know, if it if it works, it works. But I think that the technology has a long way to go before it's able to really be something that people are able to get into. I do want to talk about Doom the game, though. I have a question for you that's been on my mind. So Doom, the story, as we all know, is about people who are trying to solve the energy crisis on Earth by harnessing power from hell. Do you think that there comes a point in video games, especially ones that are taking themselves seriously, like Doom, where the story becomes so ridiculous that it's almost hard to get into? I think you're right on that. I think with a lot of movies that we've seen over the years, that has definitely been the case where they try to act serious, but the idea and premise is so preposterous that we as an audience just really cannot get into. And yes, the idea that extracting that from that type of format then just going in what the original concept was was hey it's a space marine he's thrown onto this planet now he's got to go ahead and fight off monsters just to survive if they just had that as a premise i think you would probably have been more satisfied with that result but you're right they interjected a lot more scenarios in there and one of them was trying to solve an energy crisis and just like the movie itself, the Doom movie itself that came out years ago with The Rock and Carl Urban, why do people like Doom? And and if they don't like Doom for this really convoluted story or trying to make it something that it's not, just go ahead, find a, a simple reason to shoot off the monsters, and there you go. And that in and of itself makes Doom really special, both the previous version and the newer version that just came out a couple of years ago. But when it comes to the movies, like the movie that we saw, that really performed well below expectations. It's considered one of The Rock's worst movies. And there's good reason why, because they just tried to do something that they shouldn't when it comes to the Doom universe. And it looks like you're saying when it comes to what they did with this game, even though it was very highly rated, it was on several 10 best lists the year it came out. You're saying that the story itself is too convoluted and becomes a distraction from what you really want to do overall, and that was just shoot the monsters and, and uh, try to survive. No, it's actually the opposite for me. I When Bethesda took over publishing duties for Doom, I was expecting a more enriching story. I was expecting like lore that was actually fascinating, but this was, I don't know, it almost felt like a watered-down version of Halo to me, where you were, you know, you had objectives, and as soon as you... you you know, you'd fight hordes of monsters and you get to certain points. The the android guy would pop up on the screen and tell you a little bit about, you know, about what's going on. And then, you know, they got into a little bit about, about your backstory, about how like it carries on from Doom 3, how he's kind of sealed in the sarcophagus and the Praetor armor. And then they they talks about how they bring him back into this world or whatever. And that's, you know, they wake up and of course the base is all literally gone to hell. But it's, I was expecting a more, you know, a, a better story, something that had that really expanded on the lore in a way that the first three games hadn't because the first three games were on platforms that didn't really have an opportunity to make the game look good aesthetically and tell a good story. But with Xbox One, I was figuring that maybe it would do that. So you get into this problem with Doom where it's it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of fun to play, but it just it doesn't check off all the boxes for me because you have these these parts where like even on easy, like I said earlier, it's an incredibly difficult game because you're you're pretty much it's monotonous. So you're doing the same things over and over again. You know that the moment you you, you deactivate one of those hell gates or whatever, that you're going to have to fight 
hordes of of enemies and as they keep adding different enemies into the game as you progress you know you're gonna have to fight like five of these guys two of these guys three of these guys two of these guys and so on and so forth and then but what happens is more the later you get into the game the more scarce ammo becomes so the game actually punishes you if you're not good at aiming i guess if you're one of those people like me who just likes to run through first person shooters shooting everything it's just it's not a game that's going to cater to you very well you have to be strategic about it and i don't think doom has a good enough story to me to be worth that kind of frustration i'll make sure i watch my back the next time we're playing a first person shooter and there's friendly fire turned on yeah no for real man just look out for those grenades i'm telling you (laughs) but doom my friend i love doom especially the older doom i cannot say enough great things about my time spent in the 90s playing doom my time in the doom reboot was really solid I enjoyed it, but no, it wasn't near the levels of Doom 1 and 2 that I enjoyed playing so much back in the 90s. But hey, if it's something that's for you, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But as far as the VR market's concerned, it still has a long way to go. What are your thoughts on the Doom reboot and also being a major part of the new PlayStation VR campaign? Share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well popculturecosmos humanity media and game source on facebook and twitter as well coming up next we've got tyler baker from the fancy football pater podcast he's going to be sharing his thoughts on picks for you for this upcoming fantasy football season and your fantasy football draft so you got to stay tuned who does he like who does he not like and what are some of the underrated picks you should think about in your upcoming fantasy football draft. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Based on the webcomic by Sarumaru, FX Unit Yuki is now available on the PC Engine and TurboGrafx systems. With eight varying stages of hardcore 2D action, an awesome soundtrack, and intense boss battles, FX Unit Yuki gets the adrenaline pumping as you navigate through its multiple difficulties and endings. Check out Old School Retro at its finest today by ordering a CD-ROM copy of FX Unit Yuki for the PC Engine or TurboGrafx today at fxunityuki.com That's fxunityuki.com Ah, yes. To be that time of the year. And Mm. football is here. It is back again and back back. again strong. (sighs) You know what that means. It is time once again for you to go ahead to your local pizza parlor or your local draft house or even online to one of the gazillion places that offer fantasy football. Because, yes, it is time once again for fantasy football. It is one of the preeminent things that we'd love to do here in pop culture. And who better to explain everything that you need to know for your upcoming fantasy football draft? A man who's here not just for fantasy football, but his pop culture knowledge. It is my good friend. He is the host of the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, and I just struck a deal. 
Mm. Right in the back corners of <laughs> pop culture cosmos, I just struck a deal to have this man have his podcast, his thoughts. I don't want to say exclusively, but predominantly now going forward, at least in the interim, right here on the pop culture cosmos, it is my good friend, Mr. Tyler Baker. Oh, Great to have man. you back, my friend. I had so many things. Good that football's back. Good to be on the show again. And it's just so good to see football again. It's back. Before we started the the actual recording of this segment, that Tyler Baker went outside to the backyard and hit a tackling dummy about twenty times, but <laughs> just to get ready for so this, ready. right, right, so get ready, ready for this segment right here. <laughs> but it is Tyler Baker. He is the man in the know, our fantasy football guru for Pop Culture Cosmos. Let's get into the quarterbacks because I know that gets all the okay. headlines. It gets all the pub and everything of that nature. I want you to tell me first, if you are going to go into the later rounds, as far as focusing on quarterbacks, where do you start and where should you look towards to when it comes to the quarterbacks for your upcoming fantasy football draft? Well, if you're going to get one of the top quarterbacks that's fine if you're in a two quarterback league then you want to spend early round picks on quarterbacks if you're going to get one of the studs and by studs i mean the aaron Rodgers, russell wilson drew Brees, tom brady cam newton i think is poised to have a much better year than he has in the past it's okay to get those guys but if you wait there are some guys that i think are really good values. I think Marcus Mariota is undervalued this year, very much undervalued. A lot of guys have him barely in the top 15. What happened last year with the Rams? You had Sean McVay come in and, and just completely turn that team around. I see that happening this season in Tennessee. You have Mike Vrabel got hired as the head coach and Matt LaFour coming in as the offensive coordinator. And I think he's going to do great things there in Tennessee. Matt LaFour was the offensive coordinator for the Rams last year. Sean McVay ran the offense, but LaFleur is there to actually make the nuts and bolts happen. LaFleur is going to have a lot more control this season with the Titans. And the Titans, you have some very good pieces on that offense. And I think Matt LaFour is going to be able to put it together for Marcus Mariota. So whereas you could get Marcus Mariota for just about nothing. I mean, you could wait till the late rounds and probably pick him up. And I think he's going to do really, really well for you this year. There are other quarterbacks that you and I have spoken about in the past being a fan of Washington, I know Kirk Cousins was someone that was always on your mind as far as someone that produced really well while he was there. Mm -hmm. For me, he was one of my top choices last year at quarterback. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, his change to Minnesota and in return, Alex Smith coming from KC to Washington, mm -hmm. what do those moves generate as far as for the priority for fans of fantasy football do they now prioritize Kirk Cousins higher than they did in the past? Do they say that Alex Smith maybe should be less than of importance than he was in KC? I want to hear your thoughts on that, where you think these two players, and not only that, but if there's anyone else that there should be noting that in a new location, they're really going to stand out. I think both of those moves improved both of those teams. Minnesota gets a very competent quarterback and 
Kirk Cousins gets to go to a system where he has some real weapons. I mean, you're talking Stefan Diggs, Alan Thielen, Kyle Rudolph. He hasn't had weapons like that before in the past. Oh, yeah, and a guy named Delvin Cook, <laughs> who is really good catching the ball out of the backfield. What I've noticed in watching Kirk Cousins' game in recent years is that he does make mistakes. And sometimes he's kind of cuts his progressions short and kind of takes the easy way out. Sometimes I think that's going to spell a lot of receptions for Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook is poised to have a very good year. Kyle Rudolph, I think, is going to be a favorite target of his. And the way that Stefan Diggs can work the middle of the field, I just see Kirk Cousins being a very, very good fit for this offense. I think Kirk Cousins makes this offense a lot better than it was. And I think Cousins fantasy value is going to stay about what it's been. You know, he's been like a top 10 quarterback and I think he's going to stay there. Alex Smith is coming off one of the best years that he's had in his entire career. He's going to a place in Washington where he's not going to have the weapons that he had in Kansas City namely a guy named Tyreek Hill, Tyreek the Freak. I mean, the guy is, is just such an athlete. He's not going to have someone like that in Washington, but he is going to have Jameson Crowder. I think Jameson Crowder is going to be the number one receiver in Washington as far as fantasy value, just because Josh Doxson can't stay healthy. Paul Richardson is can't stay healthy. Jordan Reed can't stay healthy. Jameson Crowder is going to be the biggest beneficiary of Alex Smith going to Washington. And I think Chris Thompson is also so you're going to see a lot of what you saw last year from Chris Thompson. So the, both of these quarterbacks, I think they win. I think the teams win. And I think the supporting cast around those quarterbacks win this season. One thing I also want to ask you is in regards to quarterbacks that are poised for a comeback. And one of those, I think, is Derek Carr. I understand that John Gruden's back and he wants to go ahead and run the ball, but I think when push comes to shove that the weapons that Derek Carr has and maybe a new offensive scheme might actually facilitate a very, if not a yardage heavy offense, maybe a more accurate one for him. So I think his numbers TD to interception ratio might actually be a lot better this year, but also Carson Wentz, now, mind you, he doesn't have to really be a comeback here, per se, as far as stats-wise. But when it comes to the injury factor and the fact that he's coming off an ACL, I think that needs to be, at least early on, a show-me type deal, especially for someone who was so close to winning the MVP last year. John Gruden is going to win games. Sure, he's going to run the ball. But when it comes to gaining yardage, he's going to gain yardage. And hopefully John Gruden can work his magic. He has such charisma. And hopefully that will translate into that offense. Maybe he can help the game make sense to a guy like Amari Cooper, who if he could just concentrate better and catch the ball, he could be a top 10 wide receiver. The pieces are there for them to come back. Adding a guy like Doug Martin is really going to help that running game and ostensibly help the passing game. So I think John Gruden is going to be very good for that Raiders team. You mentioned Carson Wentz there in Philadelphia. A lot of pressure for a team that wins a Super Bowl and has to come back. There's going to be a lot of pressure, but Carson Wentz showed that he can deal with the pressure. And while Alshon Jeffrey, of course, has health concerns, I think that there's enough 
weapons on that team that Carson Wentz is going to find himself pretty much where he was last year. And that is a top 10 fantasy producer just about on a weekly basis. Once again, Tyler Baker, so glad to have him part of the Pop Culture Cosmos this year with his show, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Quick hits for you. It's nothing long, nothing nothing stretched out for you. It's quick hits from the man himself on his thoughts on the fantasy football scene each week. And that's going to be found right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos channels. You can download it, you can subscribe to it, and you'll be able to get that all for you right there. Tyler, I'm just truly honored, as always, to have you part of the show, part of the program, and now a true weekly contributor in an official fashion with us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking forward to it. So glad to have football back. And it's going to be fun spending the season with you, my friend. Absolutely. Until that first loss comes in and just hear me complain. (laughs) Just hear me complain. My friend, it's always great to have you a part of the show. And as always, a great part of the pop culture cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is Gerald Glassford along with my good friend, Josh Peterson. Josh... I wanted to start a new thing because it all happened when I tried to watch a movie the other day. I want to start a new segment called What If? It's a segment, I'll just run it every now and then, no particular set type of thing or whatnot. But at this point in time, I want to ask you, I was watching or trying to watch or trying to sit through a movie called The Losers, a movie that came out in 2010, a movie for which I thought, because I really had only some vague knowledge about it, I thought it was an actual Marvel movie, but it turns out it was produced by Warner Brothers, and it's actually a DC property, which shows you how little I cared about it in the past. It's actually a 2010 movie which came out, which had a lot of well-known stars that were attached at the point in time. Stars like Chris Evans, Zoe Saldana, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Idris Elba, all of those were actually attached to the film and played major roles within the film. So I ask you, my friend, if The Losers had become a big hit for DC, unfortunately it did it, it tanked, it was actually very quickly forgotten about, and it actually performed really bad at the box office. It's not thought of very highly critically at all, and I couldn't even sit through the whole movie. It was actually that bad of a movie. But what if the losers had performed like, let's say, a superstar box office blockbuster, and that had become a foundation for what was to come in the DC movie universe? How would that have changed the DC movie universe plus the Marvel movie universe? Because then I'm sure Warner Brothers would have made sure that Chris Evans, Zoe Saldana, and Idris Elba, for that matter, made sure that those individuals, you know, with enough money thrown around, contractual agreements and whatnot, 
would not have been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe itself. So The Losers, yeah, it was not a very memorable movie. It had its moments, I guess, but did it? I didn't find any. I I was I was less mature back then. So that was uh what eight years ago? Yeah, I was just that was kind of the, around the time when I would go to the movies with my friends just because there's something to do. So that was uh yeah a different time for me. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember there originally being talks about having that be part of the DC universe that they're looking to create. Like there is there is internet speculation. Is this tied to the to the Dark Knight or something like that? You know, there's a lot of there's a, a talk and speculation amongst fans and comic book sites and stuff like that, but luckily it didn't do so hot and it, we didn't end up having to worry about that. Well, to me, it's kind of interesting when it comes to Chris Evans, because in 2010, he did the losers, but in 2011, the year after that was when Captain America, the first Avenger appeared. I think that he is, or at least he should be given a lot of credit for what he's done to help the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because he's portrayed Captain America, I think about as well as you should, his confliction with doing what's right, his emotions, his the things that he's done for it. I think he's been by far and away the best choice ever for a Captain America, what you could have done. Uh, yes, you could have said John Krasinski. It's been you know widely said by now that he was thought of as, as a top candidate for it and some, and some other choices as well, Channing Tate and whatnot. And all of those would have been admirable choices, but I don't think anyone would have been able to convey the type of emotion and the type of character that Captain America has in the Marvel Cinematic Universe better than Chris Evans. Would it have changed a lot? I don't think it would have changed a whole lot, but it definitely would have changed how we perceive Captain America, in my opinion, maybe not dollars-wise, but I think overall as, as well as how he has portrayed the character with the case of Zoe Saldana, you never know. Yeah, it, it, 2015, I think, was the first Guardians. Or was it 2014? I think it was 2014, I'm sorry, that the first Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And if the Losers had been rolling at that point in time and DC had plans of interjecting her character into even more parts of the DC movie universe, you never know. That could have been different as well. And And she's done an extremely admirable job playing Gamora, with her status now very much up in the air after the events of Avengers Infinity War. With Idris Elba, you know, with Idris Elba's Heimdall character, Heimdall has never been a focal point of the Thor universe. So with him, he's done so much other work that's been outstanding. I think that he would have been okay either which way because he's just an outstanding actor and it really just would have garnered any other roles without a problem if he did stayed in a hit DC universe or been in the Marvel movie universe that he's known for now. So it's just an extremely interesting what if, if the losers had actually been something that had garnered a lot of money out there and, and garnered a lot of success and been that foundational piece for the DC movie universe going forward. It's just something to really think about as a what if scenario. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm glad it didn't pay out. It didn't uh, turn out that way. But yeah, I don't think I don't think you would have had Chris Evans as Captain America. I honestly think that I think it was too close of a timeline there. Yeah. So, you know, fortunately, it didn't turn out that way. But yeah, even with other actors, I don't think you would have got the commitment that Chris Evans gave to the role because he literally put probably what 10 years of his life on hold to do these Marvel films. And 
I don't think with other actors like you had like John Krasinski wanted to get his to his writing and directing career. You had Channing Tatum is is a flake at the best of times. So there would have been more casting problems with Captain America further on down the line had Chris Evans not gotten that part. Exactly. I mean, we're still waiting for that Gambit movie, which at this point in time, now that it's owned by Disney and all the rights are there, that it probably would have never come to fruition. So I agree with you, my friend. I think that part of it, when it comes to Chris Evans, could have been affected by it, but it still would have made a ton of money at the box office. We're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, no matter if the movie that Chris Evans had been in before was a winner or if it really truly was the losers. What are your thoughts out there on what if the movie The Losers had been a big hit at the box office? How much would that have affected, in your opinion, both the DC and Marvel movie universes? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Any last thoughts, my friend, on the way out? Yeah, I'm good right now. I'm excited to talk about what's coming up, though. Absolutely. It'll probably be a little bit edgy for us as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Cheryl Glassford. This is another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show, we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, wait, wait. Comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. At Metal Geeks for Twitter. Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.